This is Jim Harmer, and you're listening to the Improve Photography Podcast. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace, the company that makes my photography portfolio. It's really easy to make a Squarespace website. You can just go go to Squarespace, drag and drop your content, choose beautifully designed templates, and if you ever need anything, you can use their free 24-7 customer support. To start your free trial today at squarespace.com, enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your purchase. Hey everybody and welcome back to this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast, your weekly dose of photography knowledge. You'll have to excuse me for today's episode. I'm actually going to toss things over to Jeff Harmon, who's going to take the remainder of the of the episode. And episode, he was really nice to reach out to me. I uh, my brother died this week, and I have a about a million things to do before the funeral tomorrow, and so he was uh, really nice to, to uh, offer to, to help with that. I do want to mention, though, that uh, in preparing for the funeral, I, like, at the perfect timing, so I looked through my Lightroom, and it was really cool. I was going to do a slideshow for, uh, for my brother's funeral, and, uh, and, you know, he died suddenly, I didn't, couldn't prepare anything, and so I went into Lightroom, and I just typed the name Sam Harmer, and boom, just, I could see all of the photos that had ever been taken uh, of him, because uh, I have my, my dad's hard drive and um, of photos and stuff he gave to all of the kids, he kind of, you know, uh, scanned in all the slides and all the family photos from when we were little and stuff, and gave it to each of us, uh, I had six or uh, five brothers or six boys. And uh, so anyway, I, I had all the photos and I was just sitting down to uh, to look through them and pick them for the slideshow and printing big uh, photos for the funeral and everything. And right uh, right as I sat down, uh, a box came in from FedEx and it was Loop Deck. Um, we talked about this on the podcast a little while ago and, and we didn't have experience with it. Um, it's basically a... a really beautifully designed keyboard that has all dials and switches and scrollies and buttons uh, to do all of the things you would normally do in Lightroom as you're calling and making quick edits on on photos. Uh, I mean, you can give it the, your star rating. There are buttons for all five stars. Uh, zoom in, undo, redo, brush tool, uh, copy, paste, go full screen, hue, saturation, luminance. Uh, has eight buttons to uh, select all your different Lightroom presets. You can kind of pick your favorite Lightroom presets and just boom, you just press a button and they're there. Rotate and crop, contrast, clarity, exposure, black, white. I mean, it has a lot on this keyboard, more than I had, had understood that you could do. Um, anyway, it came in the mail right as I sat down to look through 15,900 photos that had been taken of my brother during his life. And uh, and I sat down going through them, and I thought, oh, well, you know, like perfect time to review this thing, right? <laughs> as you Right before you call 15,900 photos. And so I spent an entire day yesterday uh, just working on loop deck and culling photos. And I, I, honestly, this thing is awesome it's so cool i my desk is just slammed just has uh, you know mixer and microphone and headphones and you know my normal keyboard and mouse and stuff and and uh, i thought oh, I, I don't have room for one more thing on my desk uh but I think Loop Deck has found a permanent place on my desk. Uh, so thanks, thanks to Loop Deck for sending one out for, uh, for me to review. It uh, ended up perfect timing, and, and it's a really neat, neat device. Uh, so check that out. Uh, maybe I'll see if I can get somebody from Loop Deck on the on the podcast uh, over the next couple of weeks because it it really is very very cool, uh, especially if you're a professional photographer shooting weddings or anything and you're just making those kind of quick edits all the time to photos. Wow, it's so cool, <laughs> really cool. Anyway, um, I'm I'm gonna pass things over to to Jeff Harmon who's gonna take the balance of this episode. And uh, thanks to him for for being willing to do that. And we'll see you all in another week. Hey, everybody. Welcome in. Uh, we First off, I want to say that Brent is actually joining me. He's been so kind, was available to, uh, at very last moment, join me on this episode. So the two of us are going to talk about a couple of things, answer some listener questions, and we're looking forward to it. Welcome aboard, Brent. Hey, thank you, Jeff. Glad to be here. 
All right. So today we want to talk briefly, as briefly as we can make it, <laughs> about the shooting the eclipse. Um, because we've already done this on on the Improved Photography Network. We have a photo talk episode that uh, we Brent and I went through a lot of detail on this. So if if you really want that detail, if you haven't heard it yet. Go look up that photo taco episode. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, and you can just do photo taco um, in the Google search. Do photo space taco space eclipse, and I'm sure you will find uh, probably two episodes, or no, just the one episode. That's right. It's a different episode. We'll talk about it later in this episode. Too many uses of episode there. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So unless you've been hiding under a rock, you probably know because it's like a, the the hugest thing going on this summer. It seems that there's an eclipse coming on eight twenty one, which is just a, a little bit away as we record this episode today. There's not very much time before that's going to happen. Full right. solar eclipse going to sweep across America, kind of like the sash on a beauty pageant contest contestant, and uh, starting in the upper northwest in Oregon, ends in the southeast in South Carolina. So Brent, give like a two minute recap about kind of sure. how to prepare and shoot the eclipse. Yeah. So if you want to zoom in, you certainly need a nice long lens and the pretty much the longer, the better. I've talked with other people and they're like, you know, oh, I've got a 200. You'll get probably some definitely decent results, but the, the, the sun is going to be pretty high in the skies, especially the, the further east you get. It'll be higher in the sky for you when the eclipse actually happens. And so you're going to basically be just pointing straight up almost uh, if you're over there on the east coast. And you just need a long lens if you want to zoom all the way in to get the coronal mass, which is when that shadow comes, you see all the uh, – effectively, you could say the atmosphere of the sun. So these coronal mass ejections, all the energy that are just flailing off the sun. Mm-hmm. And um, you also need a solar filter. So uh, make sure – right now, though, my goodness. Yeah, um, that's the, the problem, isn't it? That, <laughs> I think that's the big problem. You can still get some that are expensive, like B&H and a few other of the bigger retailers. They must have really stocked up because they're still advertising that they have them and you can get uh, some pretty good solar filters. They've got some that are made by glass. You could go to a welder's supply and get a welding mask uh, (laughs) or a welder's glass, I should say. Uh, There's other, you know, there's, if you're desperate, you know, there's other things you can do, but your basic solar filters, I bought mine probably, I'm going to say about four months ago, something like that, maybe Uh three months ago. And I paid 10 bucks for a filter. It's a, it's a, just a mylar plastic, uh, black polymer plastic, actually that uh, has a has a mirror surface on it, on one side, and you just tape that to the front of your lens. And so the size that's four inch square that fits my one hundred to four hundred lenses, that was ten bucks. I looked it up the other day; it's now twenty five dollars on Amazon. <laughs> right, right. So I was just like, ah, we have some people that are, uh, you know, entrepreneurs here. They're buying up everything <laughs> from Amazon. And then they're using Amazon to resell it That's apparently right. That's because right. Amazon no longer has them. So if, if you're without a filter, you know, it's it's everyone is saying, you know, don't shoot it without a filter. And I certainly want to follow that same kind of um, same kind of uh, advice. People are asking. I've seen all over the place in various groups and whatever. What if I used a six ND? What if I used a 10 stop ND? Mm-hmm. Uh, even that. And I, I did it myself, a very brief shot of the naked sun with a 10 stop ND on my um, 400 millimeter. And you can do it. Uh, I did it. But, you know, the shoot lasted like a minute. Uh-huh. So I didn't have it where the where the sun is just concentrating into the lens onto the sensor. And since I only pointed it to the thing for like a minute or two, uh, I didn't have that risk of it just building up and just going all gangbusters crazy, you know, frying my camera. Right. When you are doing the eclipse, though, you're probably going to want to get that transition where it starts just a little bit and it starts to eat away at the sun. Sure. And then it's totality and then it's, you know, backing out away from it. You probably want to do that. And if that's what you want to do, you're going to be pointing your camera at the sun for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, It takes over two hours, I think it is, from start to finish. We're going to go over some detail on that in a second. Uh, Yes. You know, I looked up where that was for me specifically. and, and I'm so excited about that yeah it's it's a wonderful tool uh so so you're gonna have a lot of energy a lot of solar energy coming into that into that sensor and it's just you know it it would be dangerous even if you were to use a 10 stop i think but one thing you know that i also read a lot on is to say you know 
watch your eyes. You know, if, if, you're, right. if you're if you got a ten stop, you can still fry your eyeballs. My plan is, you know, if I fry my camera, uh, I can replace my camera. I can't so much replace my eyeballs, nope. so I'm definitely doing uh, live view on that. So <laughs> I'm not going to be looking through the viewfinder. I'm just going to use live view. They only replace done. eyeballs in movies. Right. And they do a good job of it in Hollywood. But yeah, this isn't Hollywood for sure. No, no. Only got one set. Okay. So uh, if they're, they don't have long lenses, you're all out, right? For renting lenses. Yes. I just uh, had a reservation uh, this earlier this week. I'm all out of my long lenses. Um, personally, I was not going to be shooting it because I had a big vacation plan, but that got ended up canceled. Uh, so I'm keeping one of those lenses back for me uh. and all my other ones. I had like four or five of them are all, are going out. Two of them went out today, another two tomorrow, and then the final one uh, next week. It's a more local rental. So, um, so yeah, they're all out. They included the, the filters because people were renting for a week plus. Uh, so I included the filters for them so they don't have to worry about it. But unfortunately, if you're, if you're without, you know, you're, you're without. You're going to be at, without, at this point. yeah. Uh, right. certainly go and enjoy it if you can. It's just going to be an, an amazing phenomenon to witness. So even just being there and if you had even just a point and shoot, you're going to still be able to get something. So but even definitely, with, even at like 200 millimeters, especially if you're on a crop, um, try and include some foreground that way. You'll, oh, sure. you'll at least see enough detail that you can see how the eclipse is yep. going past. And yep. th- there's still opportunities to get something. It'd be fun. Yep. And if nothing oh, else, totally. like you said, you're out there to see it. And that's cool. So yeah. it's a, an event that doesn't happen very often. So partaking oh, in that, that's yeah. every, I, I think the whole United States is going to be like for three hours. <laughs> just We're going to be doing nothing. <laughs> watching the eclipse. It's yes. gonna just Productivity is going to go down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. You know, one place I was looking at going, which I've decided I'm not going to go to, is right off of Highway 84, right in Oregon. There's an old abandoned cement factory, which would be the most fantastic uh, foreground for an eclipse like this. You know, kind of an apocalyptic type view, but it's right on the major highway. And I'm just I just can't (laughs) imagine how busy that place is going to be because it's so easily accessible with the interstate there. Uh, but, uh, the great American eclipse.com website, they actually have a thing where they gone and predicted what they think are going to be the most busy locations. Uh-huh. And they've predicted that one is going to be actually one of the least busy locations. I'm like, I don't, that's not how that's my, my forecast. <laughs> um, because it's just, it's so un, there's like zero people there. And even if you were to put a thousand all over there, all of a sudden, there's zero facilities. You know, all of a sudden you have a thousand people needing to use the facilities and all that. It's just going to be hectic and crazy. And I'm not sure I want to sub- subject my family to that. So it's, we're going to yeah. go else. That's kind of what I've decided to. I, I don't know why I didn't think of it. We did our photo walk, taco episode months ago. Right. And, and I had it in my head like, okay, yeah, I, I want to go over to the filter. I want to try to find, I want to try to go north uh, into Idaho from yeah. here in Utah. And, and take that trip. It, it, I looked even at the time. So it's three and a half hours. So even if I didn't go until the day of, we could do that. Yeah, I could leave early right. in the morning. We could drive the three and a half hours. We can find a spot and we'd shoot in. But we thought, nah, let's not even do that. That'd be kind of fun just to have a, a little mini getaway there, me and the wife. And we'd drive up there and uh, stay in, you know, find a spot and then stay in the hotel that night and get up and just, you know, take a nice leisurely day because it's going to happen at 1030, start at 1030 in the morning. And um, I don't think any of that's possible. <laughs> no, I waited too long. There's no hotels. We've kind of looked into it a little bit. And now I'm thinking every road up there is just going to be so packed. I got no chance to get there in time. And uh, so that we've scrapped those plans. That's just not going to happen. I waited too long was the problem. Just yeah. I, I was surprised at how many people are interested in doing that. It just shocked me, actually about yeah. how many you're doing but it, it's kind of neat that that we care that much about this kind of phenomenon that's pretty cool um so but i'm gonna try to make the most of it here i'm gonna try to figure sure. out how to do something here in harriman utah 
and um, and what what I can get out of it. I'm not sure I'll come away with anything, but I'll give it my best shot. And one of the ways, the one of the tools that I'm using um, is the Photo Pills app. So I've I've talked about this before. I'm kind of a Photo Pills fanboy of the the app. It used to be iOS only. They've added Android versions, so everyone can can really go get this now. It does cost ten dollars at least for iOS. I think it's the, probably the same on Android. And, uh, but it is totally worth it in my mind, not just for the eclipse. I mean, it could be just for the eclipse because it right. really has some powerful planning stuff. But if you do any astrophotography, it's like indispensable. It's really powerful for planning those kinds of shoots, um, figuring out when you should be there, the, what the moon phase is, how it's going to be positioned with the galaxy, the Milky Way, all of that kind awesome. of stuff. It's it's incredible on what you can do with it. Um, it even has like shooting information. There's They call it photo pills because they have pills that you can use for different types of information with like exposures and with uh, focal lengths and and uh, focus, uh, like if you're gonna have to focus stack or what the hyperfocal distance is, a whole bunch of technical information that's right there at your fingertips that you can calculate stuff for you. It's really cool, very cool app. But let's, I wanted to go really briefly kind of over how you can use it specific to eclipse planning. And I kind of just went through this uh, recently and went over in more detail just today, getting ready to record this episode, um, just to really kind of illustrate how you can use it and, uh, and then I'm going to continue using it through this week to just try to plan where I want to go and, and what I'm going to try to do. And we'll see if it works when, when it actually happens. But so for those that, that haven't ever used the app, when you go in there, the very first pill, it's the most popular one, is called Planner. And so you, you launch the app, you go into Planner, and it's really busy. It's, it's, it's not an app you can just figure out as you go use it. You really kind of have to have some instruction on what to do. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing because that Planner pill is just got tons of features of what you can do. And um, I'm, I'm working on, on trying to do some training on, on how to use it more efficiently. But for the Eclipse in particular, when you go into that pill, at the very top, there's this tiny little row at the top there that doesn't look like it it's movable it doesn't it's not apparent that you can swipe on it and have it do anything different or even click on it and have it do things but it does there's a whole lot of functionality just related to that top little banner kind of row there at the top and if you swipe from left to right you can you have to swipe a ways because there's a whole bunch of functionality like i said and you're just gonna we're gonna skip over and not really talk about but um you there's two panels i'm not sure what the official terms are in the app but there's kind of i'm calling them panels that are part of that row that if you swipe from left to right the last two panels in there are now are have been added recently it's only in the last month they've added this have information about the eclipse so the first one that you get to when you first get there it says no eclipse loaded and then you have to hit a little button to the left of that text and it will load up what the next eclipse is. So I presume that what they're gonna do is make it so that the next solar eclipse that's gonna be coming will have information in here as well. They'll, they'll reuse these same things, but sure. they added it in front of this solar eclipse. When you click on that, then it changes to say, total solar eclipse, August 21st, 2017. And, uh, and that's the eclipse that's coming up that we're interested in doing. So then from there, what you can do is uh, kind of swipe. Well, once you hit that, it has on the map, which is part of the planner pill, it has where the eclipse totality shadow is going to go across the United States. And so you can see exactly where it's going to have full totality, where it's going to be kind of not full. Um, it, you can visually kind of see where it is. And then you could could have if you especially if we were using it several weeks ago, <laughs> try to plan where you were going to go too late for me to really kind of get there. But um, as I go into the app now, I could see that for me here in Harriman, Utah, I will still have a magnitude 0.916 eclipse, which means 1.0 is a full eclipse. And I'm that means I'm really close still to a full eclipse, mm-hmm. even though I'm three and a half hours south of where the actual totality will be, the shadow of that's going to go. Um, I'm going to have a really small sliver of the sun at some points. And so that was kind of exciting to see, oh, well, actually, I'm going to have a quite quite a big eclipse here anyway, even though I'm not going to be in the, the range of the totality. 
All right, yeah, so that's ninety-one percent coverage. Which yeah, is exactly. Sweet. It's it's going to be a really small sliver, and they even kind of show what it's supposedly going to look like. And we'll see how accurate it is. But the mm-hmm. PhotoPills app kind of has an animation there to show you what it is. All right, so that's the first panel. Kind of sets you up to say load up that eclipse, so you can see the data, and you can turn it on or off through that that top row, um, the second to last panel in that row. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it in audio. <laughs> All right, so if you I think swipe, you're doing pretty good. If you swipe from left to right one more time, now what you get is the different phases, the major phases of the eclipse. Um, for me, in my location, I only have three because it never goes to totality. So I have when the moon just edges over the sun, when it's just barely starting to cover the sun. And then I have the peak of the coverage, which would be the 91%. And then when the moon is, again, just barely kind of past the sun and, uh, and covering the edge. So those, those three time slots. And it's, it lists it right there in that top panel. For me, it's uh, 10, 14 a.m. is when the, the moon's finally starting to just cover the sun. I have the biggest part of it covered at 11.34 a.m. And then it will be almost completely uncovered again at 12.59 p.m. So that's like three hours worth of, right? Yeah, three hours worth of time. So when you talked earlier about how long you'd be shooting that, if mm-hmm. you want to try to capture the like lots of photos as it's going through the phase here of the of the eclipse, three hours of direct sunlight covering a huge portion of your sensor is not going to be good for your sensor. Definitely that's, not. That's going to be a problem. <laughs> and that's that's what uh, might be confusing. I know when we first talked on Photo Taco, that was one of the questions I asked you because I thought I shoot the sun all the time. But it's at most, you know, part of a second. (laughs) Right. It is not. It's not a huge amount of time. And when you're talking about three hours, that's and and it's also a tiny little part of the picture. Usually. Exactly. That's the other part. So those two things combined, huge amounts of time and you're filling the frame as much as you can with the sun that you unless you have a filter, you're going to ruin your sensor. Um, all right. So that, that's kind of in photo pills, the, the first way I'd do it. Another part about that last panel, when it has the different times and the different phases, if you click on the icon to the left of that information, it will actually change the date time on your planner in the planner pill to be those different times. So if you click it once, it will set it to that 10, 14 AM for me. And you can go check out kind of information then about the sun at that point in time on the in the planner and some other the other panels. So, for example, I can look and see that it's going to be at thirty eight point two eight degrees of elevation at that time. And, um, and so that that kind of will help on the planning about, well, as I if I want to try to find a composition where I can get the sun and the landscape, maybe just my 200 millimeter lens on my crop sensor and try to get the two things together since I'm not really going to be able to get a full zoom and I'm not going to have the full totality anyway. I'm not really going to go after the Corona shots or or some of the other things that you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um then I, I need to just plan, how can I get a good composition? So having an understanding of roughly where the degrees are and then using other features like the AR, the augmented reality features and photo pills will help too. At 1134, so I hit that the icon to the left at the top panel there, again, where it's listing the phases, it will jump to 1134 when I have the brightest or the, the most coverage of the moon over the sun. And uh, it will be at 51.53 degrees. So it moved uh, quite a bit in that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's, a, it's an hour later, hour and a half later uh, about. And uh, and then at the end, 60.52 degrees. So I, I could try to find, and what I'm most interested in would be that 51.53 degrees. What can I find where I can try to incorporate some landscapes? And so that's, I'm going to be scouting around in my area. Now that I have the info, I can scout around. I can I, I know the direction too. I know from that planner app where the kind of what the direction of the sun is going to be, so that I can try to figure it out. And, and I'll just I'll see if I can find a spot that's kind of nearby. Make sure I go hang out for a couple hours uh, in that spot during a lunch break, which happens to work out great for me since I have a nine to five job. And uh, and see what I can find, what I can catch. Yeah, and as you tap that icon, that little. Uh, that narrower yellow 
line that comes out of the the pin yep. that's a location pin that's the direction that the sun is going right. to be at so you can kind of look at you know you zoom in on it you can say okay it's going to be that direction i can see what's right. what's in my foreground and so it really is a good idea a good way to uh to help you figure out exactly where that sun is going to be. You know the 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 angle up it's going to be, those degrees up. You know the direction to look for it. Uh, it's very, very helpful. Yeah. Yep. This and was it, the function that got me to buy the PhotoPills app because I had Photographer's Ephemeris, and they were kind of close enough as far as the mapping right. functions and everything. I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. It's just cool, but I have the other one. Then they came out with this. was like, okay, I have to buy it. <laughs> so... Yeah. So I, I now have it, love it, and it's um, definitely helping a lot with my my planning on this as well. Cool. What other resources have come since our Photo Talk episode, Brent? Yeah, some of the resources are probably considered maybe a little more just, you know, kind of fun and entertaining. Uh, the first one is uh, that I'm going to think about is timeanddate.com. There's, uh, they have a nice uh, page uh, there are probably a series of pages actually where they've got all these different animations. So you were talking about in the PhotoPills app how that little icon will change as far as showing you how much uh, of the sun is covered. You know, that thing, my entire thumb can easily cover that whole icon. So it's extremely right. small. Right. If you want something that's larger, like maybe the size of your hand or even bigger, go to timeanddate.com. Plug in your, I believe that goes off of your, um, either the city and, and state or your zip code, and then it'll give you an animation of what that sun will look like as it's passing over you uh, during that time frame. So that's pretty cool uh, to look at that and kind of see all their animations because they have so many good, well-done animations, and I, I really like, I, I could sit there for a long time just watching those. If you're a more of a science geek and you really like the nomenclature that all the science folks use, look up EclipseWise.com. And then NASA has some fantastic safety guidelines. I've put all these links in the show notes. And so you can find the safety guidelines for NASA. And one thing, you know, I talked about if you're desperate enough for whatever filter you can use, I was a little surprised to see NASA suggest <laughs> if you were to have some sheet film, regular old black and white film, and you were to just fully expose it to light, and then you were to develop it fully, you're going to get a completely black piece of film uh -huh. because it's completely exposed. Right. You can use that as a solar filter. Hmm. I was like, really? That'd be so cool. I used to have sheet film. When we did uh, film processing at the school, we don't do yeah. uh, that regularly anymore. I used to have sheet film. I used to have all the chemicals. No problem. I could have done that in three seconds. Well, it'd be a little longer than that, but I could have done that super easy, and I could have made my own filters. Uh, so if someone's out there and you've got some sheet film, some black and white sheet film, uh, that may be an option for you to make your own filter. NASA says it would work. So I'm like, all right, it's coming from NASA. They should know. Maybe maybe <laughs> that's something I can trust. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> ho hopefully someone didn't hack into their page and, and put that on there. But I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. All right. So, yep. Get out there. See what you can do to shoot the eclipse. Try not to uh, get stuck with all the people. Um, right. And uh, and I'm excited to see what people get. I'm, I'm not so sure I'm going to come away with a whole lot, but <laughs> I'll give it a go. And I'm excited to see what other people get. So it's going to be what, fun. One thing, Jeff, that I want to also highlight for folks like yourself and anyone else who has a, a significant coverage and I don't know exactly what the, the threshold here is going to be, but you have a significant coverage but not full coverage. Take a look at the shadows that are being cast on the ground because if you have a tree or something like that next to you, when you get to that near totality as it relates to as, as far as it's going to get for you, I should say, you're going to get some really cool shapes on those shadows too that are being cast because it's going right. to be affected by the, the shape of the light source that is lighting it. So. Take a look at that, too. You might be able to, with your wide angle, you might be able to get some interesting patterns and interesting things that possibly other people aren't going to be looking at. Everyone's going to be gazing upwards. You know, this is where the, the best image may be happening behind you. Yeah. Okay. Good Good thought. I'll have to see about that. Might even be interesting to do a time lapse of the shadows, especially if they're going to be looking a little different. Uh, yeah, that could see. be cool, too. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what we come up with. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We have uh, an ad and we're going to give Jim a second to go through that. Today's episode is brought to you by Casper. Casper is actually who I bought my mattress from after a recommendation from my brother and sister-in-law. 
and we've really been happy happy with it. They're obsessively engineered, as they say, and it really comes at a very, very fair price, much cheaper than I could find at any local stores. Supportive memory foam creates an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars. It's quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com improve and using offer code improve. Terms and conditions apply. Support for today's show also comes from Squarespace, the company that makes my photography portfolio and has for several years. Whatever your next big idea might be, count on Squarespace to help you create an eye-catching online platform that brings it to life. Whether you need a portfolio for your photography, a store to sell your products or services, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need to look like an expert right from the start. You can even get a unique domain which strengthens your brand and makes it easier for, for visitors to find you. Plus, Squarespace has award-winning templates, 20... 4-7 customer support so you don't have to worry about anything technical. Uh, they're really your own IT department to help you with anything you need. Make your next move and start your free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your purchase, your first purchase. Again, that's IMPROVE, I-M-P-R-O-V-E. All right, so we're back here and we're going to finish out the episode today with uh, a few listener questions. And uh, these these listeners are great. You know, we decided we were going to record this episode uh, late in the day and they already responded with questions. And it's it's really cool. Our listeners. Yes. If you're on the Facebook, if you're not on the Facebook group yet, then go search for improve photography podcast listeners and uh, you'll be asked to join the group. And we've decided to just make it as uh, administratively light as possible. Facebook's finally added a cool feature that helps us with this we can ask, ask a question. So it's a simple question if you are actually a listener of any of the podcast episodes on the Improved Photography Network. We ask just for the name of a host. And so we, we can tell pretty easily those who are actually listeners and those who are not because they'll put in a name or not. And spelling doesn't count. So, so even if you spell it wrong or mixed names, like I am Jeff Harmon, but <laughs> Jim Harmer is the guy who runs this, this uh, ship and our names are so close. We've seen a lot of Jeff Harmers and G Jim Harmons in the uh, yes. in the host names. That's fine. I get that. It's it's hard to keep us. Poor Jim get mistaken with me all the time, and that's terrible. I, I'm guilty. I've had that tongue slip happen myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now I know. Now I know. <laughs> it took a little getting no. Anyway, if you put in the names, you're you will be you'll be in. We if you can provide the name of the host, then you'll get in. If you can't then we're not going to do it. And we're not even going to go research the the logins now because it's a very simple way to pass that test. If you don't answer the question, you don't get in. So there you go. Anyway, go join the group. It's it's a really fun community. It's a, a positive, uplifting community. Lots of questions and answers go on there constantly, like today with these questions. So we're going to start with Bob Fischel. I hope that's how you say it. It's always dangerous when you're pronouncing names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Bob asked, uh, do you sharpen in Lightroom or Photoshop and why? He said he asks because he's just learned how to sharpen in Photoshop using Unsharp Mask. And it makes him feel like he needs, he, doesn't, he needs to go back and put everything that he's done before through Photoshop because the sharpening is so much better than Lightroom. So what do you think, Brent? Well, I think that he can use many of his many of his uh, skills or practices that he's putting into the photoshop sharpening and put them to good use in lightroom yep. however there's one little thing that i want to toss out there and that is when i'm printing i do very little sharpening in lightroom and i do it all in photoshop and the reason i do it in photoshop is because i have exact resolution already figured out ah okay and I'd like to target my sharpening to the specific resolution and to the size of print that I'm making. I do my own prints. I'm a little bit picky that way. So <laughs> forgive me, people. But that's just how picky I end up getting. If I know it's only just for screen viewing and the like, I have zero problems sharpening in Lightroom. Yeah. But because of the way that Lightroom works is 
you're not affecting anything as it relates to the resolution. It's the full resolution of the image, and it only resolution only really comes into play when you export that image as a JPEG or right, something like that. Right. So because I don't have that absolute this is how many exact pixels I have. I know the exact resolution I have. All that goes into play when I'm sharpening for printing. I need it to be a lot more picky, and that's the only reason. That's the only reason I would really stick to it and say no. To me, it's good. that part's got to happen in Photoshop. But everything else, absolutely, it's it's actually quite easy, um, and it's very similar. Someone asked on that Facebook group as a follow up, isn't it the same engine? Uh, mostly it is, but yeah. there's a few different sliders, a couple extra sliders than you have compared to the Unsharp Mask, and uh, so they behave just slightly differently. Those two extra sliders, and so yeah, it's good to experiment with, good to learn, but. You can do everything that you probably need to do in Lightroom. So for me, the thing that really changed it, because I, I had a, kind, of, kind of the same opinion until, I don't know, few, three or four months ago, um, when I decided I really need to figure out how to use sharpening. I, I'd spent so much time delving into Lightroom in the other areas, I'd never gone into that and really looked sure. into it. Yeah. And I recently learned a few months ago how to actually use those sliders, and that makes a huge, huge difference. I was changing, like adding sharpening, uh, a lot of sharpening usually, but I didn't touch the other two sliders that were there. And sure. those, those make a big difference <laughs> that, that really matters. So learning how to use those, we, we talked about this in, in a IP episode several weeks ago. So I will, I yeah. won't repeat all of that, but, um, that's what matters. I, if Bob, if you want to learn how to make it work better in Lightroom, you need to figure out how to use all three sliders. Yeah, well, actually, there's about radius, detail, and masking. Oh, four, so sorry. Use, use all those four. Four sliders. <laughs> because what he's used to is amount, radius, and threshold. And masking is very similar to threshold in Photoshop. And detail, that's the one that's just a little different. And uh, it's important. Yeah, certainly you should yep. be using that. But you got to experiment and figure it out. And, right. And see what works for you. It, and don't be afraid of it. But it also includes... In that same detail, uh, it's called the detail module or whatever right. you call it with a develop module. Panel, yeah. Uh, panel, thank you. Yep. There's also noise reduction in there and there's chromatic aberration, uh, at least close to there. It's actually in a different panel now. Sorry. Right. Yep. Um, those things go into it as well, but really those that amount radius, detail masking, those are the main ones we're talking about. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, okay, four sliders. Thank you, Brent, for making, I would have killed myself. Like I would have just like, well, how did I say three? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, that was that's good. So learning how to use those sliders, you can get really close results. Um, unless you're really figuring out like Brent. So <laughs> that's good. Yeah, if you're super picky because you're printing, that's really uh my, my biggest thing is because you're printing on-screen sharpening, there's so many variables with how many different screens right. you're going to be on. It To me, it's useless to be that picky and get bent out of shape over it. But when you're going to print, that is a very finite set of pixels you're dealing with, and you can get really honed in I have, and dial it in really I have well. I seriously noticed that. There's one – I have lots of computers in my house, way too many for normal people. <laughs> and one of the screens that I have is one of the first Dell touchscreens that they made. Oh. And the, the – Contra I'm not sure exactly what makes it, but the sharpening looks terrible on that screen. Like unless you did like no sharpening at all, yeah, it looks awful. And so it's it's really kind of amazing how different the display technologies can be and, and affect that. So yeah. yep, I, I totally get that. It, it, it could be that hardware is already doing its own sharpening. Yeah, something. Yeah. It's and it's that's, crazy. That's not cool. I don't ever look on it because they look my images all look terrible. All right. Yeah. Uh, next question, Nelson Tapias. I hope Tapias. Um, I would say Tapias. Tapias. Okay. But you know, <laughs> just throw it out there. <laughs> when round tripping from Photoshop, focus focus stacking, panoramas, composite, etc. Do you keep the giant TIFF files, or do you tweak to your liking and only keep a high high quality JPEG? Um, all right. So I'm going to answer this one first and then I'll let you Brent. Sure. Um, so you don't, there is a medium between those two options. You don't have to have the fully giant TIFF and the, uh, or just, or the, the JPEG. One of the things that you can do, I, I guess, well, especially with focus stacking, you could do a final merge of all the layers together towards the end. And that will make your, your ending TIFF much, much smaller, uh, a lot tinier compared to having all those layers there. Now with panoramas, 
you know, that might not be, you don't, you may not have as many choices there and saving to JPEG is, is not a, a bad choice there. Um, and I, I'm not sure that I really keep the, uh, the big TIFF file. Well, no, I have, I've kept both, mm-hmm. but, uh, for me personally, storage is not a problem. Um, it's going to become a problem at some point, <laughs> but for now it's not a problem. I'm not really worried about it. So I, I keep uh, regularly one gig files, uh, all the time that come out of, of Photoshop and the TIFFs as I'm, as I'm doing compositing or luminosity masks or whatever I'm working on. And I keep all my layers just because I want to have that if I ever go back. And I have done that as I improve my techniques, as I learn another skill in um, post-processing, I go back and I try something again and incorporate it and I end up with a better image. So I'm glad I have that capability to go do it. You could certainly start from the raw file and redo it and, and reapply the technique at that point, but it just is shorter for me and my time is limited on what I can work on. So I really want to be able to jump right back into the image right where I had it and be able to try to apply more. So that's my own workflow. I'm not that worried about storage and that's how I keep it. Um, and and for, for now, what do you do, Brent? I do much the same thing. I tend to not be so worried about storage either, mostly because unlike Jim, because I know he's talked about this idea (laughs) in the past, he keeps everything he shoots. And I would say I throw away easily 60% or more of everything I shoot. So uh, when I go through that culling process, it's just not saying, yes, I think this is a great image. I'm saying this is what I'm going to keep. All the others are junk and I'm throwing it away. Uh So... Uh, I have a, a high threshold, I guess you could say, in that area. And so for keeping the extra TIFF files, storage is not my concern. What my concern is I don't like having what I would consider an original file. So if I'm doing focus stacking, if I'm doing a panorama, that kind of a thing, I would consider that to be my, quote, new original. Although panoramas I usually do in Lightroom now, so I get a yeah, panel yeah. DNG. Right. But there are some problems actually that I have run into where I do have to make a smaller file just so I can get the stupid thing into Lightroom. Sure. Lightroom won't take a file larger than two gigabytes. Right, right. And you can't save a Photoshop document larger than two gigabytes unless it's the PSB format. So, and then Lightroom won't accept that PSB format. Sometimes also, however, I will take that TIFF and I will go ahead and reduce it from the 16-bit to the 8-bit because by default, Lightroom opens it up as 16-bit. I love editing in that 16-bit, but when I'm done, I save half my file size by just going to 8-bit. And there's very few output devices that would, and even my images probably isn't that high quality, to where I need that 16 bits of information. So I can save half my file size that way. Excuse me. And then the other thing is, what if my image is so large, if it's over 65,000 pixels wide or tall, Lightroom also won't support it. So I then have to downsize it just so I can even see some kind of representation of Lightroom. Hopefully (laughs) I can make some kind of note in the caption or something like that to remind me, by the way, there's a bigger file available. Uh, And that way I can still reference it and keep it in that same folder maybe. It's just I know Lightroom was unable to manage it. So I've not very frequently run into that problem, but I have run into that problem where it's over two gigabytes and I just can't see it in Lightroom. I can't manage it in Lightroom, but I do keep the TIFF. I don't like to have that JPEG uh, compression on my original files. Right. Yeah. Same for me. All right. So next question is from Paul Pack. He says, hi, Jeff. I would love to get your thoughts on a question I've been wanting to ask you for a while. Anyone who learns from all the IP resources can quickly go from beginner to hobbyist, which is awesome to hear that. That uh, That's how he feels about it. That just listening to the podcast and being part of the group, um, you can really make some, some big progress fast. But so many of us get stuck at that level. Can you please share your thoughts on how to go from hobbyist to the next level, not turning into full-time professional, but how to level up from being a hobbyist? It seems like this is a place where so many of us get stuck. You've been really successful in this regard. So I'd love to hear your advice. So first off, thanks, Paul, for the kind words. I really appreciate it. Uh, so many of the IP community are really, really nice to me. And it's fun to, to have that. I'm not sure that I'm really past being a hobbyist either, but um, I like to think I've at least improved quite a bit in the last several years since I uh, picked up my DSLR. Anyway, um, I don't think I have a magic bullet here for sure. This is uh, everyone's journey is going to be different. We, we all learn differently. We all... Uh, progress in in skills differently. There's not one way or one thing that's going to do it. I do want to start off though. My my first 
thought on this was gear is not the answer. Um, it certainly can help. I'm not going to say that that better gear, more expensive gear isn't is going to be a hindrance necessarily, although it could be because there's so many more buttons, knobs and, and things that are there that it could be difficult to try to figure out how to even operate the camera. But um, and lenses in particular can really provide a big advantage. But there is huge, huge value. And I think the reason I've been able to progress the way I have it's because I am super hyper focused on becoming a ninja with my camera. I want to learn how to use every single button and menu and option on that camera. And I want to get so used to handling it that I don't have to dedicate any brain power to thinking about how to operate it anymore. Uh, the sooner I, I think the sooner you can figure out how to have that be kind of a tool in your hand that just knows how to be, how you know, just know how to use it rather than something you're kind of fumbling around with. That's the, the sooner you're going to be able to focus on what's important as far as when you're shooting of making sure that you're thinking about composition and, and how to actually create a shot instead of just taking a shot and capturing something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's, I, I can't emphasize enough, I think, about that. We've got another question in, in a little bit that kind of talks about time. And so I'll, I'll address another piece of it in a second. But just kind of general advice is keep, keep at it. Keep shooting um, as much as you can to work it into your schedule. Take some risks. Do something that you're not comfortable doing and figure <clears> it out. Go, go see if you can get into to shooting sports or something you've never done. And that's going to teach you so much about how to use your camera, how to do post-processing. Uh, I really think the annual top 10 process that I do and I talk about every year on Photo Taco has really helped me because I can see the continual improvement year over year. I, I can see I can come up with goals for the next year. I can say, well, I've, I know I made some progress in this area. This area looks a little bit like was last year. I got to emphasize that. I got to go figure out how I can I can improve that, what I can do there. Like this year, I made a massive jump, I think, in my portraits. Been able to, to really uh, change that because I've added some flash there and that's made a massive difference. Those are those are the kinds of things that I'd, I'd recommend um, for trying to, to get the most out of being a hobbyist. Brent, what else do you have? I have some uh, some things to say, but I wanted to comment a little bit really quickly on yours, and that is it sounds really like what you're saying is just push the limits of your of your current gear. And if you're if you're not feeling like you're actually pushing those limits, there's got to be something more that you can do and yeah, find I, out what that more is. I think that's a really good way to say it. Um, I would love to get to the point where I'm so good. My camera's the problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I am not there yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I'm bet. shooting a crop sensor camera that a lot of people feel like is, uh, you know, that is not as good as the full frame. And, and the, you can get so much more out of the other cameras. But. I don't feel like it's limiting me in any way. Sure. And um, I'd love to get to the point where that's the issue. That's the challenge. And at that point, I'll figure out, you know, what we're going to do about getting a different body. But I'm way a, a long ways away from that. Well, and one thing you mentioned too about, you know, sometimes the bigger bodies are problems in and of themselves that when I went to the 5D Mark IV with all those stinking AF spots, (laughs) holy cow, that's way more than I was used to in the 6D. And... Uh, I've, so I found, you know, I've learned it. I found a way around the, the confusion or the frustration, I should say, of click, 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 just to move that thing halfway across the frame, uh, that AF sensor. So, yeah, uh, that, that can be a challenge to kind of get used to as well. What I would look at, though, my specific thinking on this is, uh, I guess, twofold. One would be something of, with regards to uh, pursuing some type of uh, training, yeah. whether it's workshop oriented, whether it's online oriented, whether it's just joining a photo club in your area and you know rubbing shoulders with people, and maybe you already do that, uh, so you have to spread your wings in some other way, and yeah. that will help you take you that next half step, that next three quarters or a full step above where you're at. Get some advice from other people that you respect and that you. Um, uh, that aren't your friends and family because <laughs> right? mom's going to say your photos are great. <laughs> they're going to love it yeah. because they love you. And that's wonderful. Yeah. But 
definitely get some advice from outside people and critique from outside people. But another thing you can do too is to uh, separate yourself, if you can, from the seeking of the image, the production of the image, and focusing purely on that. And focus on something that means a little different, whether it's the intent, the context, uh, whatever you're going to do. If it, if you can add some type of story element, some type of context, some type of further meaning, whatever that is for you, uh, you're going to have, I think, something come out to that next level. Uh, I think I've had some images myself where I look at it by itself and I'm just like, you know, it's – it's an okay image. It's fine. But it really helps that I'm able to tell a story behind it. And when I can share that story, people just get really involved and really soaked into it. And they're like, this image is perfect for the story you just told me. So, you know, it's it goes beyond the image, though. And, and so you have to be willing to kind of seek a medium that allows you to express that extra thing that's beyond the image, but that can help take you to a next level as well. That's going to be exactly the topic in the next photo taco episode. Awesome. Uh, I, I shared a photo I took recently where it was the very first time in the five years that I've been doing this, that I felt like I had it come out exactly like I envisioned. Like I, yeah. as I was there setting up the photo shoot and looking at, at how we were going to do it, it was a portrait and uh, from the beginning to like an idea in my head about what I wanted to do, what I wanted to create out of that yes. environment, all the way through to post-processing and having it actually come like exactly how I had envisioned it. Yes. And it, it was awesome. It was so Wonderful. much fun to go through that. So that's I'm going to go through the entire story and how I got that shot on the next Photo Taco episode. So if people want to hear that, then make sure to tune in. Okay, we're going to move on to the next question. Um, oh, boy, this last name. <laughs> All right, so Peter Barrier? Is that how you... I would say Barry. Barry, okay. <laughs> uh, he said, being a hobbyist, explain your process for balancing time with your other responsibilities. Mm. So let's... Uh, Brent, you're not a hobby, hobbyist photographer, but you, do, you don't do photography as your full-time job either. That's correct. So how do you manage your time with it? Oh, boy. It's almost like I don't. <laughs> it's for me. Here, here's how in an extremely small nutshell, how it work, breaks down for me when I'm here locally. What I mean by that is at home within 30 miles of home. It's almost like I basically don't shoot. And it's terrible of me to say because. I've lived here in this valley for 20 some years and so I have that backyard syndrome where it's hard for me to get inspired by what's going on around me and I have had the wonderful privilege to be able to travel uh, quite a bit in these last, I don't know, 10 or so, so years and that really gets my juices flowing. Right. So when I'm able to travel 30 to 50 miles out of this valley, all of a sudden it's like everything is roses and, you know, popsicles because I just <laughs> like, Oh, look at all the wonderful things. And so, yeah, when I'm at home, unfortunately photography, like you mentioned, you know, when you're going, when you're going to the, uh, to work and you've got, I think this was in the Facebook group or whatever it was, you've, you've got the beautiful sunrise happening or, or just happened or whatever the case is. And you're unable to shoot that. I might look at that same thing too, but I feel no energy to try and go out and get it because I've got four kids and I've got a job and I've got two businesses that I'm running and it's just, I'm a busy guy. Yeah, and yeah. so it's, it's not something that I can say I balance it. It's because, um, when I do uh, return from a shoot, it can take me months to get to my images. So I fit it in where I can, mostly at nights. Uh, however, if one huge asterisk in all this, I am a teacher. Right. And so this summer I have been quite busy. While I have a summer class that I'm teaching now, uh, I've had several other things where I'm, I'm going out on some trips. And again, so they're travel oriented. Uh, but I have had time to work on some images. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. Uh, so I do, ha I do have these... Um, these intense times of creation, shall we say, during my during my breaks as a teacher on the academic schedule. And also, since photography is right in my vein of work, I'm expected to do this stuff. So I can actually do it at work as well. Sure. And my boss just applauds when I'm doing professional development, whether it's working on my website, shooting photos, uh, editing those photos. 
everything feeds back into what I'm teaching my students. So I actually do a, quite a bit of it at work too. Uh, when I can, when I'm not class planning, when I'm not grading, when I'm not advising all that stuff, because <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have, you know, those students are like my children almost as well. Uh, they're adults, uh, but they need quite a bit of advisement and, and guidance uh, in their classes and, and everything. So I keep busy and my photos definitely, uh, tend to go to the back seat uh, quite often and that's okay okay so so as my answer um also really hard for me uh, this is this is not an easy topic for that peter's asking about here i yeah. totally understand the question and why he's got it um like you mentioned right now I, as i leave for work like this week especially as i've gone it's the sunset is just coming up over the mountains and we're having a ton of summer thunderstorms so there's mm. there's the clouds that are at just awesome. the right spot they're not completely covering the sun they're just barely on the horizon and the mountains and it is like perfect conditions for beautiful sunrises every single morning and i'm driving in the <laughs> freeway to yeah. get to work and there's no chance for me to pull off the road and even take iphone pictures um it's just i gotta get to work we've got construction going on that crazy too so my commute's extended right now and I, there's no time I, I have to go. So it's killing me to, to have it be so beautiful and something that, that would be amazing to, to capture and help me to develop too. I'd, I'd really improve. If I could go do sunrises for a straight week and work on that, I would make some massive progress on being able to do a better yeah. job of capturing those sunrises. Um, but but I don't have the time. I, I have three kids too. They're all super active in lots of different activities. I have a lot of involved in my church. There's podcasting that I'm doing uh, and the nine to five job. So I honestly get at most somewhere between four and eight hours a week for photography. <laughs> and um, a lot of times those four hours are spent uh, prepping for a podcast episode rather than mm. clicking the shutter button. Um, sometimes the preparation includes clicking a shutter button in some sort of test I'm doing for Photo Taco, but um, it's it's not creating images for most of that most of the times that I'm doing that right now. So my progress is slow for sure. We we have uh, I, I subscribe very much to that that concept. You got to have ten thousand hours uh, to, of experience in something to master it. Sure. I'm, I'm well short of that still. I, I'm way, way short of that. And getting there is going to take a long time when it's 48 hour, four to eight hours a week to, mm -hmm. to make that happen. So I, this, Peter, is a, it's a really tough challenge to, to have improvement happen and balance time with everything else you have going on. So the thing that I'm doing, there's, there's a couple of things that I'm doing. First off, I integrate it into everything I can with my family. So we're a pretty active family. We're doing lots of stuff all the time. I can go take my camera and play around with stuff as they're at soccer practice. You know, they're not going to be stellar shots. It's not a game and they're not doing uh, they, it's not going to be the kinds of things that are going to produce uh, stellar images necessarily, but I'm improving my skills as I keep trying that, uh, figuring out how to use my camera and the focus points and the different modes and different lenses and, and everything there. It's, it's an opportunity to do it. I have to be there to, to uh, get the kids back and forth between the soccer practice, so I may as well take my camera with me and use it. Or play practice. It's indoors, so now I can practice uh, different lighting, uh, capturing the lighting of, uh, that are hard in, in plays and, and what's going on there. Whatever it is, on vacations, we're doing sunrises or well, I, the family will be totally asleep. I'll just get up and go early out someplace to capture a sunrise and take a picture. So I, I just try to incorporate Absolutely. it every chance I get um, without it being overly burdensome. And when the family finally says, oh, you're going to take another picture, I just mm -hmm. put it away. I'm just yep. done for the day. <laughs> I'm finished. We're going to go. I'm going to focus on them. We're going to do we're going to do that. That's happening less and less. I'm having them get more interested in it, too. So it's kind of working out for me that that I, I think I'm going to get even more opportunities to do it. But the other thing that I'm really doing, um, even though I may not have my camera with me all the time, I do have my phone that's always there. And uh, I have an iPhone 6 Plus, so it's, it's a few years old now, but it still takes really good photos. And especially in panorama mode, you can really get some high resolution photos. It does a really good job of it. And I'm loving Lightroom Mobile. We were going to talk a little bit about that in this episode, but we got all the listener questions, so we decided to do those instead. But Lightroom Mobile is really fantastic right now. And I've been doing a lot more of that too, taking out my phone when I see that, like I was at a soccer practice uh, last week, 
and we had one of those sunsets where the those thunderstorm rain clouds were there and it just lit up purple, pink, orange. It was beautiful. I was in a parking lot with light posts and <laughs> trees and ugly buildings, but I could find I found a composition there in that parking lot that was a decent composition and the phone still had enough dynamic range that I could capture that sunset with the clouds. I did some Lightroom processing and using Lightroom mobile. It was super fun. I was able to, to really kind of practice my techniques of making a composition again. And, uh, I, I felt like I made some improvements. So I'm looking for every possible place where I can sneak it in and, uh, have it not be impactful to all the other stuff I have going on. And I have plenty, and uh, and make some continue to make some improvements. So I'm it, it's fun. I just love doing it. Yeah, that's that's you know you talk about your kids. Maybe they're they're getting a little more involved. Um, my you know when I just went out to the uh, coast, the Oregon coast, I actually had my son. I was doing some video for YouTube. I actually had my son run the video camera, and that was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. He kind of got. You know, he's a teenager. He's got the attitude almost starting to go on almost like clockwork. Uh, but for the most part, it was really wonderful. And I'm really glad to have had that time with him, uh, being able to teach him a few things like that and just work together on a project like that. Right. It was really sweet. I, I really enjoyed that. All right, Rent. Well, I think we've uh, we've gone over time. Even. <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah, probably. Hopefully people enjoyed the episode. We're going to close up with our doodads of the week. Uh, I'm going to start out. So uh, one of those things I did with the iPhone shooting, I got the opportunity to go with some friends and we ran uh, a razor in some mud after these thunderstorms that were here. And it was so much fun. But we were covered head to toe in mud. Uh, and then we had this awesome sunset too. So we were we were all soaked and ready to go home. The awesome sunset. We all just wanted to picture this group. We had five five of us guys had gone out and just gone for an hour and a half of uh, razoring through the mud. And uh, but none we didn't. I didn't have a camera with me. None of us did, um, other than my phone. And I had uh, this thing I got a while back. It's called the Clear Shot credit card tripod. Um, the the concept was it's the size of a credit card. A normal consumer credit card. Um, but you can kind of flip up some pieces and make a, a makeshift tripod for a phone. You, it's kind of a, a wedge That's shape cool. when it stands up. And I've carried it in my wallet for a couple of years now. It was a Kickstarter thing that I, I backed and they actually shipped. So that's good. <laughs> it actually came to fruition. Anyway, I had it in my wallet and I had my phone. And so I whipped it out. I, I put it on the truck and put it on this little wedge tripod thing. Um, and then I used my Apple watch to trigger it so that nice. I could be in the picture. And even though we were totally covered in mud. I could barely get my phone to turn on. My fingers were all covered in stuff and there was no place to even wipe my hands off because my clothes just were completely covered in mud. Um, I could make that work and that it was just awesome because now we have this memory of it and yeah, the highlights of the sunset blew out because I wanted the faces. So I, I made mm -hmm. sure to, to set the exposure to, to focus on that and not the background, but that's okay. It still looked really neat. It still was a cool background and we had the memory of, of going and doing that. So it was really fun and a credit clear shot credit card on I mean, tripod. I don't know if you can even buy it um, outside of what the Kickstarter campaign was, but if it is, then, then um, I recommend it. It's really cool. And then the Apple watch to trigger um, the shutter on the, iPhone. Cool. So allow me to show my ignorance. What What's the Razor idea? Oh, I have no idea what you're talking so about. So Razor, is, it's kind of like a, a, a super go-kart. Oh. <laughs> um, four passenger, this one was, and um, and they, they're smaller than a Jeep, but they, they, and they can just cruise, like they have super suspensions and they can cruise over like dirt roads super fast. You can go 30 miles an hour mm. or faster on these things. And um, so, and mud, water, whatever, it, it just goes and goes and goes. And awesome. uh, it was really fun. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. So my doodad of the week is my old receipts for when I bought some Singray graduated neutral density filters. And the reason I'm saying that is because Breakthrough Photography is offering a buyback of your graduated neutral density filters if they're from Lee or Singray. Mm -hmm. And so I have some. And they're going to go back 15 years even, which is, I think, amazing. Wow, that's amazing, yeah. Uh, and all you have to do is, if you have it, you can send it in to them. They have a link that I've included in the show notes. You can uh, 
initiate the request. The first time I did that, it seemed to have gone nowhere because I think they're really busy. Uh, but the second time I did it, I got a reply and then I sent my invoices. I just had a PDF that I downloaded from B&H. I sent my invoices in. I should say invoice in. And they're going to give me a gift card, basically, a you know a virtual gift card for using in their store for their filters. <clears throat> and that's fine. I'm happy to do that. And the reason I'm happy to do that, because I absolutely did and do still love my Singray filters. They're awesome quality filters. However, they're made out of resin, which is a plastic, and they are really easy to scratch. Mm-hmm. And the breakthrough filters are glass. And so to have a graduated neutral density that's made out of glass that is something I'm very interested in because the chance for scratching is very minimal and I'm happy right. to to look into that. Cool. So why are they willing to buy them back? Have they been recalled or something? No, they, they and they on their site there they say, you know, they don't care what condition it's in, it could be completely scratched and trashed as long as you literally have it physically and you still have your receipt, they're going to honor it. I think this is their way of getting their product out there. Uh, and okay. they're, they're a relatively new company, and this right, is their right. way of getting their product out there in mass really quick. Okay. And so that's what I, that's the only thing I can guess on it. I have their 10-stop. Uh, it's a, not, the, not the square format, but it's the 82-millimeter. I have the 10-stop, and then I've got the 3-stop um, dark CPL coming, the, the circular polarizer dark coming. So a normal polarizer is about two stops uh, right. of light taken out, and this one is an extra stop. So it's a little extra dark. And since I'm going to Croatia soon and I'm going to shoot tons of waterfalls, I want that little extra dark to really help make that water turn into silk. And I'm looking forward to it. Very cool. All right. Well, that's going to be it for this episode. Thanks, Brent, for joining me on very short notice so that I wasn't just talking to myself. (laughs) It was awesome. It was fun. The listeners get enough of that with Photo Taco. They don't need it on another (laughs) IP episode. There you go. (laughs) All right. So, uh, that that's it for this episode. Uh, I think actually photo taco is going to be the next episode up in the feed. So I guess you're going to hear plenty of me again <laughs> on uh, Monday. So there you go. Right. Um, we'll see you all, I guess in for IP in another seven days. <laughs>